Real Life Conversations is a new podcast focusing on biblical discussions for Christian life. Please note that this podcast involves discussions with individuals from different backgrounds, denominations, and different spiritual walks of life. These conversations are not designed to put denominational stakes in the ground. Rather, these conversations are to help others pursue God, grow an understanding of the Bible, walk in step with the Holy Spirit, and experience real-life change. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please email reallifeconversations at myelevationcc.org. Well, a warm welcome to the very first podcast of Real Life Conversations. And I am so excited for this very first episode of 2023. I'm so looking forward to introducing to you the many guests that are going to be on this podcast. I want to introduce our very first guest upon this podcast, and his name is Bruce Chester. Bruce Chester came into my life over a year ago when I was in a place of just needing some encouragement, some brother-to-brother support, and he has been that and so much more. So, Bruce, welcome to this Real Life Conversation podcast. Thanks, Phil. Delightful to be here. And so, uh, could you just give our audience uh, a little bit of backstory to who is Bruce Chester. Yeah, I was born in 1939, graduated from college in 1961, and sought adventure. Had two great jobs out of college. The first one took me all over the world, living in Germany and Libya in uh, the oil industry. Then I took a second job as an export sales manager, traveled the whole world with our company's product. So anyway, Christ sought me out in 1968 and uh, brought me to a state of where I saw myself for what I really was, and that was a man in great need of God's cleansing, forgiveness, and new life. Uh, He led me into teaching. So for 45 years, I was a classroom teacher. And now you uh, live in Loveland? We do. We live in Loveland. I'm retired in an official sense, but I've never been busier. Yeah. A lot of work to be done, a lot of people to meet with, teaching Bible classes and so on. It's been great. That's excellent. And you live with your wife, Jan, of how many years? I've been married 53 years. 53 years. Congratulations. Yeah. It's gone fast. And you have three grandkids? Well, we have two with one in the oven. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations <laughs> to you. We're really looking forward to that. And so we're just going to um, jump right into the conversations. Why do innocent people, why do innocent Christians have to suffer? Why is pain and trials and heartache a must to experience in our lives? And I would just love to kind of tap into the Word of God, but also into uh, your experience and what you have thought through this topic. Yeah, this is a, a tremendously important question because a lot of life experiences are rather a mystery to us. Why am I going through trouble? I didn't do anything wrong. Why do the bad guys seem to get away with what they do, and they don't seem to suffer? But I think God's got a lot to say about it. I was thinking about this recently. Let me just share one quick verse. In Isaiah 45, verse 15, Isaiah addresses this issue head on. Now, I happened to hear this verse being mentioned in a sermon just recently by Paul Jackson, and he brought our attention to this verse. Here it is. Yes. You are a God who hides, God of Israel, Savior. So he developed this idea of God hiding. So I started thinking, 
who in the Bible was going through trouble, difficulty, and suffering, and he's also really disturbed that he can't figure out why. Well, right out of the box, Mr. Job appears. And he's the guy that's gone through unbelievable trials, testing, and difficulties. And he's questioning, why, God? I didn't do anything wrong. So I think Job is a guy that can really help us to understand what our calling could well be. He's an example for us. So where do we get a little bit more understanding and even acceptance in the Christian walk of why do we go through these different trials that we just don't understand? Well, if you let me be a bit theological, I think there's a very practical answer to this. Please. In the book of Romans kind of gives us a hint. Well, it's more than a hint. But in the first three chapters, the Holy Spirit's saying all humans are sinful, and all humans are accountable for their sin. But from chapter 3 through chapter 5, God tells us about his loving grace act of justifying sinners, that is, his willingness on the basis of faith alone to declare a sinner righteous in his sight. He's not saying that a righteous sinner is now innately righteous. He's just saying in his sight, he will accept that person and view that person as though they're righteous. That's justification. Mm-hmm. just how we become righteous in God's sight. But from chapter 6 through 8, we have God describing how we gain practical righteousness. That's sanctification. So when I look at the story of Job, it looks like a sanctifying process. It's how Job is learning to not just know that he's righteous in God's sight, but now he's learning, in a sense, why he cannot be righteous at a practical level without the grace of God. And it's that experience of coming to the end of himself. And And we all have to do it. And I think of Ephesians 2, where it says, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that any man can boast. Grace is undeserved favor. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of strange because justification is just God saying, hey, I am willing to see you righteous and you're not. Sanctification is now that you have this status of being seen by me, the holy and righteous God, as being righteous, now I want to produce at a practical level that righteousness through you. And the process is what John the Baptist said, I must decrease and you must increase. I have to learn not to trust myself. Sanctification is the process that God takes us through. It's all done by the Spirit of God to help us see we cannot trust ourselves. And if we really want to become more like Christ, we have to learn to trust God. And it's by grace, as you mentioned, that that process takes place. So Job is just a class act. And you know, you and I have had many conversations about Job. And one thing that kept coming up to me was the Apostle Paul, where he's pleading with God to take away the burden or the pain or the suffering. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. And how God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's where then Paul says, so I'm going to boast in my weakness. For where I am weak, he is strong. And I believe that some of this, if the Christian allows it, these trials, they're not fun. But when we say yes to the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of God's Son, Jesus, a beautiful thing happens, and our confidence is no longer in ourselves. 
Yeah, I think as Christians, we look at justification and say, hey, Lord, thank you. By faith alone, you have declared I'm righteous in your sight. You've erased everything that was against me and given me credit for Christ's righteous life. But then that leaves us in a position of, whoa, I'm already here. And God's saying, well, yes, you've been declared righteous. Now I want you to learn to live righteously. That part of the problem is where I really have to deal with who I am. And part of that process is what fathers have have to do with their kids as to teach them that this behavior is really not appropriate. And in fact, if you continue to do in this what you're doing in this behavior, you're going to be hurt and you're going to cause problems. So you have to learn not to do that. And you have to learn to do some other behaviors that are really quite appropriate. But the question is, how do you move somebody who's inherently fallen, sinful, and evil? How do you move them to not trust themselves? The problem is, if I'm trusting myself, only bad things are going to come from it, works that are inappropriate to a holy God. So sanctification is the process of learning not to trust myself, but my natural default says is trust myself. But God is all wise, and he can take us through those circumstances that reveal to us how sinful we are and how good it is not to trust myself, but to trust God. But the only way I get there, and I think this is true for all of us, he's got to take us through some experiences that reveal just how fallen our sinful nature is. Yeah. About a year and a half ago, I remember having a discussion with you about the sinful nature. And I think that's kind of what you're referring to when we talk about trusting in ourselves, yeah. our flesh, because no one is good. No one is righteous. We all have sinned and fallen short to learn to trust, replace or, or displace our trust in ourselves. Rather, trusting in God is that sanctification of really what I say to our church body a lot is learning to die well, <laughs> digging a spiritual grave and putting our old nature, as the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 4, putting our old self in the grave, that sinful nature, our trust in ourselves, our trust in the things of this world, and learning to trust in God alone. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul really addresses that issue in two places very poignantly. The first one, uh, you and I are very familiar with it, is Romans 6, 6. Yeah. Know you not that the old man is crucified with Christ? The body of sin might be destroyed. The other one is Galatians 2, 20. says, so crucified with Christ. Christ. So the question is, okay, I got it. That's the way God views me. Somehow I was involved in the death of Christ, and my old nature was condemned by him, and in, he sees it as dead. So the question is, how do I get at a practical level to enjoy the death to my old nature? And the problem is, God didn't take the old nature away. I'm stuck with it until I die. It's there. But he's saying, no, even though it's there, I do not see it as alive. It has no power to control you. So then we come back to what Christ said. We walk, or Paul actually said it, we walk by faith and not by sight. I think all we're called to do is to believe that Christ's cross work was the means by which I can have freedom from my old nature. All I have to do is just believe. I got justified by faith. I get sanctified by faith. I just have to believe. I don't have to think that thought. I don't have to react the way I'm feeling like I want to react. I want to be like Jesus, but only God's Spirit can produce it. Mm -hmm. It's a faith act just believing the promises of God, like Romans 6, 6 and Galatians 2, 20. So the question is, did Job face that? Yeah. 
was he confronted with this truth about the self-nature? Yeah, he, what can we learn from Job? Yeah. I know there's a lot. It's a thick book. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think there's several things. First of all, this is a mystery, this whole business of how do we become more like Jesus? That's our calling. Right. How do we do that? What has to happen? Well, it's God's work, but we have a part. But Job's dilemma was he was going through a sanctifying process, ordained by God, orchestrated by God, empowered by God, but he doesn't know what's going on. He can't see God in it. He doesn't know the backstory. So it's kind of like that verse in Isaiah 45, 15, God is hidden. Well, that's part of the blessing that comes out of this, I think, for Job, and perhaps a lesson for us. So what was going on? Well, the backstory is kind of interesting. Satan comes to God and says, God, the only reason this guy Job is obeying you is because you're giving gifts. Just take away the gifts. Take away all the blessings. Watch that guy. He's just like everybody else. He'll curse you and turn away from you. God said, you really believe that, Satan? Go ahead test him, but you can't kill him. So Satan turns loose all kinds of forces against him, as we know. He loses his children, his cattle, his sheep, his farms, and so on and so forth. So I've, I've thought about this a lot. If we look at Job's experience, he's in Satan's hands to start with, and then the three friends come along, yeah. and they were probably good guys. It says they sat silently for seven days in Job's presence and didn't say a word. I think they were yearning over his problem and and his dilemma, and they wanted to help, and they just sat silently. But they turned into men with no conscience. They began to accuse Job of being sinful without any knowledge that God had allowed all this to happen to an innocent man. Job didn't understand why it was happening. The three friends didn't understand, and they end up saying, hey, if you're suffering and you're one of God's children— God doesn't let suffering come to his children unless they've done something bad. So, Job, you must be doing something terribly bad. So, repent, and let's move on with God. So, Job's in a dilemma. He, he knows he's got a righteous standing with God. He knows he hasn't led a perfect life, but he's been, he's been good in the way that goodness and righteousness was revealed to him. So, Job— ends up doing something very interesting. I think we talked about this one time. If you have a bottle of vinegar and the cap is off and you upset it, what comes out? Vinegar. What if you have a bottle of sweet wine and there's no cap on it and we upset the bottle? What comes out of that? I would assume sweet wine. Sweet wine. <laughs> what if you upset Job? What comes out? What is inside Job? So... Job's response to his three friends was just as bad as their response to him. He jumps all over them. He's accusing them of being insensitive. And in a sense, I think he's saying, if I'm bad, you're worse than I am. So Job is defending himself. In a sense, he's kind of acting like God. Well, the three friends were acting like God, accusing him and you know, commanding him to repent. Now Job's doing the same thing. Which is interesting to just look at that perspective of how we react when we don't understand what's going on. Our flesh goes to judgment, uh -huh. assumption, and then accusation. Absolutely. And so good intentions, they were there to support him, but they were there to figure it 
out of why is Job suffering. And their assumptions and accusations were very off and misled. And Job's response was also judging and accusing their character. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the lesson? What is Job supposed to learn? What are the three friends supposed to learn from all this? Job is resting on a self-nature in his responses. Those three men were doing the same thing. They were being exposed to the quality of their self-nature. Now, at the time, they probably weren't aware of that. They were just angry or they were upset or they wanted their will to be seen by the other party. But it's interesting. He was, Job was in Satan's hands. He's in the three friends' hands, and who comes along next? Chapter 38 through 42, he's now in God's hands. And God asks hard questions. Who are you to give counsel to me? <laughs> who, did, did you establish the boundaries of the seas? Did you build the pillar that holds up the earth? This is really a humbling process, isn't it? And try to answer those questions. So it looks like Job is being led to coming to a conclusion. And I think it's a great conclusion. Right. If you looked at Job, what is it you would think Job is supposed to learn from all this and the three friends? Well, God is hidden from him. He's hidden from the three friends. They don't know that God set this thing up out of love and compassion. But I wonder if in chapter 42, we've got the answer. In other words, God says, in a sense, Job, I've let you go through all this for a purpose, and here's the purpose. And Job owns it. He doesn't just repeat words that God gives him. He evaluates his whole experience, and he says in chapter 42, I have heard with the ear, now I see with my eye. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. It kind of sounds to me like what he's saying is, wow, I knew a lot about you, God however God revealed himself to him. I could quote things about your nature and character. I heard, I knew about you, but now I see with my eye. Now faith has made me very conscious of your living presence. Now this thing is not at an intellectual level only. This is experiential. I see you with my eye. And I repent in dust and ashes. I abhor myself. And I don't think that's self-loathing. I think what he's saying is, whoa, I see my self-nature for the wickedness that is inherent in it. I don't want anything to do with myself. I want to trust God. And that's the shift by faith. Yeah. That now he experiences God and walks in trust and faithfulness. So for our listeners, all of us are either going through some really challenging, difficult seasons. Some of us have just maybe come out of a difficult season, and some of us are entering into a difficult season. What would your encouragement through what we've talked about and the lessons from Job, what would your encouragement be to our listeners who are going through a really difficult time of how to grow through this season? Well. That's a major question. I think that's probably one of the uh, most important questions for the believer as they go forth in their new life in Christ. And I think Job is giving us a hint. We will go through times of suffering, uh, times of um, tribulation, trial. The word that comes out a lot in scriptures is testing. And um, we're not going to necessarily understand why. I just read some articles about uh, 
some believers in uh, the steppes of Central Asia, Nagorno-Karabakh, and the fact that their churches are being burned by people who hate Christianity. Many have been killed. And I'm thinking, wow. they didn't do anything wrong. They're just trying to live their life trusting in Christ, and yet families are being decimated, properties being stolen from them. And they're probably thinking, I, why? We haven't had that happen in America yet, but we shouldn't actually think that difficulties will be prevented from coming. They will at some level. But what do we do with them? Hmm. How do we handle it? Well, we cry out to God, but it seems like God is hidden. But here's the principle I think we have to keep in mind, and that is we're told clearly that God will never leave us or forsake us. So then if God in Isaiah 45, 15 is hidden, how can he be with us? I think we have to distinguish between God's promise to always be with us and to be hidden. I wonder if it's not like the father who says, son, I, I don't want you to play with fire. Don't do it. You'll get burned. The father realizes after several attempts to say, don't do it, the kid's going to do it, and he's going to get his fingers in there to test it. The father's kind of hidden. He doesn't speak. He's already spoken. He stands back. I must let my child go forth. He's going to have to learn this the hard way. I wonder if that's not the sense that God in love says, we can either learn this stuff by precept we can get it because it's written in the scriptures and we should believe it. If we don't get it by precept, if we don't get it by believing what's been written in the Word of God, then I'll let my children go through experience so they learn. I think Job was kind of a guy that experienced that. God says, Job, I've declared you righteous, but there's things you need to know about yourself. I'm just going to back off and let you live your life and react to the problems and help you see that really your basic nature is evil, and you have to learn to see it dead. You have to learn to see me as alive in you, producing the Christ life that only I can produce. So I think that the experiences we have are kind of like Job. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? We need to realize we have a bad self-nature yeah. and not trust it. Yeah. But we need to cry out to God for help to overcome. Seek his face. Seeking his face regularly. He's always there, but like the loving father, he'll back off. He'll let us go our own way within limits, <laughs> so we'll learn. It's a loving act. It's a very compassionate act of God's part to help his child grow. But the divine purpose of all of this is that we would become fully dependent, trusting in God's sovereignty yeah. and his providence. Yeah, well, ultimately— Paul said that we've all been pre, every believer's been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Job looked pretty good on the outside. He had a lot of cattle, sign of God's blessing. He had big family. He was a priest in his family. His kids loved him. He loved them. But what Job didn't know was what he was really like by nature, by virtue of his first birth. But Paul is saying, yeah, but it's God's process in the remainder of our life to be more and more at a practical level like Jesus. But if I'm trusting myself instead of crying out to God for wisdom, if I'm not obeying him, Christ is not apparent. It's interesting, too, that uh, I've talked to many heroes of the faith, what I would say, strong, adult, mature Christians. And I've, I've heard it said quite a few times, when trials and challenges come, don't ask why, ask what. 
Well, that's a great God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want me to get rid of? What do you want me to do in response to you? Because we get caught up in the whys. And just like Job and his friends, when we get caught up in the whys, that is mysterious and we don't understand. We start to use our finite, carnal, fleshly minds to try to process something that is infinite, holy, and perfect. Yeah. Well, we're, we're always dealing with our factory default setting. You know, we always defer back to who we are by nature. I love that. And God's saying, yeah, but you, I've given you a new nature. You put off the old man. It's still there, but make a choice not to lean on the old man. Put on the new man. Well, somebody asked me one day, if the old man is what I'm born with, a fallen nature, what's the new man? I don't know, but I think it's the Holy Spirit. So don't trust yourself. Begin to think with the mind of Christ that it's the Spirit that's in the believer that produces works that glorify him. It's not the person. So maybe we should think of ourselves as an empty vessel. God empties the vessel. Then he says, now I want you in your thoughts and your words and your deeds to be like Jesus. So you got to let me fill the vessel and I will fill it with the Spirit. He will produce godly thoughts, speech, and actions. So it's kind of an exchange, a faith exchange, believing the promises of God. And it really glorifies our God when we do it. That's amazing. Uh, Thank you, Bruce, so much for your time, uh, your heart. You have made such an impact on my life. And I'm trusting that this conversation, this real-life conversation, uh, will meet people right where they're at in their walk with the Lord and uh, encourage them to not just hear God with their ears, but to experience and see God with their eyes. Would you mind just praying for our listeners in light of going through life with the purpose of growing more like Christ? Would you mind praying? Yeah, Father, thank you that we don't have the wisdom to know how to make all this work, but you do. And it seems like everything in Scripture is leading us to this. You don't want us just to know about you, to have information, to be able to quote Scriptures, to be able to teach a Bible lesson. You do want those things. You want us to go a a step further. You want us to know you. You said in 1 Samuel 3.21, and God revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh uh, through the word of the Lord. I think you're trying to say to us in our daily walk, we need to study the scriptures. But when we approach them, you want us to see you there. You want to reveal yourself at an experiential level to each Bible reader, each Christian prayer. You want us to be connected experientially with the presence of the living, resurrected Christ. That's our victory. So I pray you'd give us the grace to use your scriptures correctly, to really want to experience you. You said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Job said, I have heard you with the ear, now I see you with the eye. Why did you use experiential language? We can't see you, of course, but in the depths of our soul, we can experience the warmth of your living presence. That's what you want for us. That's where the victory is. I believe that's what Job experienced and Paul and other Christians have experienced. Give us that experience of being close to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for listening to Real Life Conversations. We pray you were encouraged and impacted by today's episode. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please email reallifeconversations at myelevationcc.org. Again, that's reallifeconversations at myelevationcc.org. Stay tuned for Episode 2 of Real Life Conversations. We will be joined by special guest, Pastor Todd Smith from Dawsonville, Georgia, as we have a conversation on the urgency of prayer. You won't want to miss it. God bless.